0: Well, please uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we started looking at it last week as we were talking about the incarnation and the Christmas story. Philippians chapter 2, we kind of looked at the first uh, eight verses, five through eight there. And now we're going to look at verses uh, 9 through 11. This morning we're going to kind of read that whole passage. And so if you would uh, stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this, this story of, of your son Jesus. We thank you for uh, this last week and we continue to pray for those who uh, may be hurting as a result of uh, just a, a rough a rough uh, last few months or weeks. And we think of just so many in our church who have, who have uh, lost loved ones or who are going through personal uh, difficulties, trials, uh, health issues, uh, just emotional issues as they struggle with uh, situations. And, and we, we give all that to you this morning. We pray for uh, you to be exalted in our lives and in the lives of uh, others in this church. Give us wisdom as we look at these truths in your word. We pray this in your son Jesus's name. Amen. Well, I believe that the desire to excel is a God-given desire. In other words, God has designed us to be motivated by a desire to do things well, to excel at the things that we do. I think that's a God-given motivation, that desire to excel. The problem, of course, is that Sin enters the picture, and it's it's hard sometimes to discern what exactly is motivating us and what exactly we're trying to excel at. So sometimes our desire to excel is is motivated not just by a desire to do things well, but by a prideful desire. So, for example, a football coach takes his team and tells the the team, Okay, uh, players, I I want us to be uh, practicing hard, I want us to be doing good drills, I want us to execute well in games. And there's this the prize at the end of the season. I think this team is capable of winning a, a state championship. And so that motivates the players. It motivates the team and causes them to work hard and causes them to endure hot summer camp. It causes them to endure during uh, cold games and uh, long fall nights when it starts to get cold. And it, it motivates them. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily, right? It can be good. God-given desire to, to excel at things. And yet, and, and this is where the tension has come into to my mind as I've thought about this this last week, and this passage about exaltation, and yet at the same time, we know that pride is wrong, and I think about my own football, brief football experience as a, a freshman in high school and how the, the coach came and was talking to the players and he encouraged them to, to think about the state championship and Then his application was to not take any hard classes. Don't take any foreign languages. Don't take many math classes because I want you to stay eligible, was his speech to us, which seems wrong to me, right? Think about playing games with the family. Surely it's not wrong to want to do well, but that tends to get tainted by sin pretty quickly in my heart as I want to not just win but crush my children in games, right? How do we balance that? Because again, I think in Scripture what we see is that God desires us to be motivated by a desire for exaltation. He wants us to want to be exalted. You "What? Well, now hold on, Daniel, what, what did you just say? God wants us to want to be exalted. So well, doesn't that go against what we just talked about last week? Remember last week we were in Philippi. Paul was writing to the Philippians here. And he was talking to the Philippians about conflict in the church. And as he was talking about the conflict in the church, he told them they needed to be like Christ to resolve this conflict that existed in the church where people were considering themselves more important than others. To resolve that conflict, they were to consider others more important than themselves and they were to be like Jesus. And and last week, we looked at verses five through eight and it described who Jesus was. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But essentially, Christ's life was marked by humility. Now we come to verses 9 through 11 and we talk about exaltation. So in the same passage, both humility and exaltation are being talked about as good things. To me, that's a tension. How can it be good to be exalted when it's also good to be humbled? How can those two things go together? It's a struggle for me. But what we see in Scripture, and I don't, I don't want to give away the whole answer yet, I want to just kind of walk through this passage together, but here's a hint. I think a huge part of the problem is not that we desire glory, but that we define glory so cheaply. It's like a person, a man who inherits a painting, a priceless work of art, and desires to sell it for five bucks, the problem isn't that he desires to sell the painting. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is that he has valued the painting so cheaply. The same, I believe, we're going to see is, is true for you and me. The problem is not that we, defi- that we desire exaltation. The problem is that we define exaltation so cheaply. And so what I want us to do is I want us to walk through these verses here in Philippians 2 And think about a a biblical model of exaltation, the type of exaltation that God calls us to. Four truths that I want us to think about that I think will help us. And the main thing I want you to be encouraged to do as we leave today is to to pursue the exaltation that exceeds all other exaltations, to be motivated to pursue the exaltation that God calls you to pursue. And here are four biblical truths that I, I think are going to help you do that. Here's the first one. The first one is this. What we see in Scripture is that you can pursue exaltation only by pursuing humility. You can pursue exaltation only by pursuing humility. And this is what we've seen in verses 5 through 8. And let me read those again. It says, uh, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. He was in the form of God but didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped made himself nothing. So here he is in his deity. What is he doing? In his deity, he's humbling himself. Jesus Christ, fully God, humbling himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, the the miracle of the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. Christ also is humble in his humanity. He becomes fully God, becomes fully man. Verse eight says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, so even in his humanity, he's humble, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so what we see is that Jesus Christ pursues humility. And exaltation can only be pursued by pursuing humility. In fact, we see this other places in Scripture. For example, in Luke 14, Jesus tells the the parable of the... Uh, the, the, the um, the guests at a feast. He says, and this is in Luke chapter 14 verse 8, he says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place that When your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher, and then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And then Jesus says this in verse 11 about God's economy, how honor works in God's system. He says this in verse 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See the same thing in James 4. James 4, James writes... God gives grace, and therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Verse 10 Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So, what do we see? We see that you can pursue exaltation, and again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to see this as we go through the passage, exaltation's a good thing, rightly defined, but you can pursue exaltation, true exaltation, only by pursuing humility. And this model goes against so much of what the world teaches us about how to be exalted, how to receive happiness, Right? Yesterday I was listening to uh, This American Life, and it really kind of, at the very beginning really piqued my interest because they were interviewing these 13 and 14-year-old girls. There were like three 13 and 14-year-old girls who came into the studio and they were interviewing, and I uh, began listening right away because that 13 to 14-year-old girl demographic is a very important demographic to me. I want to be very popular among the 13, 14-year-old girls in my house. And so that's a, a very important demographic. I was listening to those uh, interviews carefully, and it said the the host was saying the girls came into the studio, and the first thing they did—those of you with uh, thirteen or fourteen-year-old girls in your life—you know what it is probably right. The first thing they did was take a picture, and then they put it on Instagram. Okay, first thing they did, and then you're hearing the girls talk in the background as as they as they do this the show. And you hear them saying things like, okay, how many likes now? Many? And so they were trying to, to see how many people would like their, their photo. And they said, okay, it's been a minute. No one's liking it yet. Oh, no. And then it was, okay, here's two likes and three likes, six likes. And they're all kind of talking back and forth. And it's kind of funny. I've heard similar conversations among people before, Whitney and I. Um, but then, uh, then they said something that um, it's very interesting, very interesting. They, The girls, as they're talking to each other, they begin reading the comments, and the comments were very similar, right? Their friends started posting comments on the picture, and it was, you're so beautiful. Wow, you're so pretty. Adore. Model. You know, things like that. Things that you've seen on 100 different uh, 13, 14-year-old girl Instagram accounts, if you look at those. Now, the interesting thing, too, though, is that it's... Even though those, those comments seemed kind of innocuous, as they were talking about why they did it and, and what people were posting, where, it was like this very intricate social game that these girls were playing. And as the host kind of heard about all the rules they had for what pictures they would post on and which pictures they wouldn't and what words they would use in which posts, the host said to the girls, he says, this sounds like a full-time job. And one of the girls said, yeah, it's kind of tiring. Another girl said, basically, basically, I'm like a brand, and I really have to promote myself. You know? Which was really kind of a sad thing to hear a 13-, 14-year-old girl say, right? She's a freshman in high school. She goes, I'm, I'm a brand, and I've got to promote myself. I've got to make sure the right people are liking my posts so I can have, she used the term relevance, so I can be relevant. Now, what's true for a 13, 14-year-old girl freshman in high school is true for all of us, right? There's a belief that for us to to be relevant, to be in the right circles, we have to to promote ourselves. And here's what God is telling us, what Jesus says in that parable, what Paul is saying here in Philippians. Look, the way to true relevance, the way to exaltation, is not by self-promotion, but by humility, by considering others more important than yourselves. And so I would commend to you, be you a 13, 14-year-old girl or younger or older, I would commend to all of us humility. The desire to consider others more important than ourselves, just as we saw last week. Now here's the second biblical truth. Number two, you can only truly be exalted by God. You can only truly be exalted by God. What does he say there? The beginning of verse nine, he says, therefore God has highly exalted him. Now, that strikes me as strange. It's like you're reading through the passage and he says, look, I want you to have the same attitude that's yours in Christ Jesus, and he did this, he was humble, so it's kind of like this passage is saying, be humble, be humble, be humble, be humble, pursue humility, and then exaltation. Like, hum- humility is good, humility is good, and then exaltation is also good. Now, that's the tension for me what's going on here? And the question that I have is, as I think about verses 9 through 11, like it's very easy to see how applicable verses 5 through 8 are, but then in verses 9 through 11 when he's talking about Jesus and exaltation, that gets a little bit harder for me. And as I was looking at the passage over the last couple weeks, one of the questions I've been thinking about, and I encourage you to ask this question as well, is, is it okay for me to want to be exalted? I know that I'm supposed to emulate Jesus Christ in his humility. Is it okay for me to have a desire for exaltation? And I would answer that question with with yes. Again, if we think about it rightly. Now, only God, only God can truly exalt. And and what I mean by that, let me explain by kind of giving you five truths about future reward. Okay. Here's the first truth there's a future time of reckoning, even for believers. I'm going to kind of walk through this, and you're going to see why this second point is so important, important, but it'll take take us a couple minutes here. Number one, there's a future time of reckoning, even for believers. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 14. He says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Who's going to stand before the judgment seat of God? All of us. He's talking there to believers believers who are in relational, relational conflict with one another, and he says, look, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, Paul says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's a sobering truth. Every single one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now here's the second truth as we think about future reward. Second truth is this. The reality that our evil deeds, the reality that our evil deeds will be exposed before God should motivate us to holiness. The reality that our evil deeds are going to be exposed should motivate us to holiness. Listen to what Paul says in First Corinthians 4. He says, don't pronounce judgment before the time, this is 1 Corinthians 4, 5, don't pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who, this is the Lord, will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. Now, there's two things there, right? It says, first of all, he's going to bring to light the things now hidden. In other words, every sin that you've committed, that you thought was concealed, that you thought, okay, I've I've done a good enough job covering my tracks. This is never going to be found out. Paul says, no, it's going to be found out. And not only are the actions that we've done going to be revealed, the thoughts of our heart are going to be revealed as well. He says he's going to disclose the purposes of the heart, those motivations that you had that you thought those were secret, those are going to be revealed as well. There's going to be a day of future reckoning, and on that day, even for believers, our evil deeds are going to be exposed. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about the motivation that comes from this. He says, whether we are at home or away, this is Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our aim to please him, verse 10, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I make it my aim to please God, and one of the reasons for that is, is I know that I'm going to appear, all of us are going to appear, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1 tells us, and yet at the same time, we know that there's going to be a time where all of us are going to appear before God and our evil is going to be exposed before him. And that reality should motivate us to holy living. Paul says, I I aim to please God because all are going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You can see then why exaltation is not a bad thing to desire already, right? Because the alternative is shame, (laughs) The alternative to being exalted is, is shame. Shame to God and shame to us. You know, as a parent, if you're a parent, your children's behavior reflects upon you. Now, as a, as a dad, I try not to, to turn that screw too often in motivating my kids. Like Even as a, as a pastor, I try not to say things like, well, you know, kids, uh, you know, you're going to embarrass me. I'm a pastor. I, I try not to do that. Now, the kids... The kids get a lot of comments, they get the pastor jokes, it's, they find them funny. In fact, this past week they were talking about um, some jokes they could do of their own. They, they thought maybe they could have a t-shirt that had like answers to questions that people ask them a lot at church, and they could just kind of point to the right answer, like, uh, yes, I know I look like my dad, or uh, yes, I'm getting taller, or when we go to other churches, you know, like go back to Bethany Baptist, uh, no, I don't remember you from whenever you held me in nursery. You know, things... Things like that. You know. But I, I, try not to, you know, I try not to turn that the pastor screws too much. And, and I actually, I try not to do it at all because I don't want them to be motivated by some job that their dad has. But there's a reality for all of us as parents that our children's behavior does reflect on us, right? And it can't help but be true. It reflects upon them. Proverbs tells us that a, a rebellious child brings shame to his mother, grief to her. So it's true for us and our Heavenly Father as well. My obedience to God, my pursuit of righteousness, reflects on him. My failure to do so reflects on God. So there's going to be a time of future reckoning. The, the idea that I'm, my evil is going to be exposed before others is an idea that causes me to, to want to pursue righteousness. But also, an, an, a third thing to think about here is that future reward should motivate me to pursue righteousness. Paul says this in Philippians three. He says, "Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do: forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." In other words, this this goal of the prize motivates Paul in the present to pursue righteousness. Jesus, tell, as telling parables, would talk about rewards that await those who are righteous. And the cool thing, too, in Scripture, this is, this is something we'll talk about in the coming weeks, but the reward that we receive is not always just an individual reward. In other words, it's not like I just individually stand before God and receive my reward as an individual. Did you know this as well? We as a body, we as a, a community of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we as Bethany Community Church are pursuing reward as well as, as a body Paul in 1 Corinthians talks to the church in Corinth and he says, Look, you all, he's talking plural. We build on the foundation laid by Jesus Christ and we build with, we can either build with gold, silver, straw, or we can build with gold or silver, precious stones, or we can build with wood, hay, straw, and then it's going to be set on fire and the things that remain are going to be the things that we are rewarded for. It happens corporately. So there's going to be a future time of reckoning. The reality that my evil deeds are going to be exposed should motivate me to pursue righteousness. The reality that my righteousness is going to be rewarded should cause me to pursue righteousness. And fourthly, as, and this is where, this is where it all kind of is beginning to tie together, hopefully. As I am motivated, as I'm motivated to pursue righteousness, as I will and work for God's good pleasure, It's God who's working within me. So I'm thinking of a future reckoning. I don't want evil to be exposed, so I pursue righteousness. I want reward, so I pursue righteousness. And as I do that, it is God who is working within me to allow me to pursue righteousness. And the fifth truth is this. The fifth truth is that it is God, it's God who exalts He's the one who places people in position of prominence. So I want to pursue righteousness. There's this future day of reckoning. I don't want evilness to be exposed. I want to receive reward for righteousness. As I pursue righteousness, it's God who's working within me to pursue that righteousness. And then it's God himself who places me in a position of exaltation. Now, what does all that mean? What does it mean then? Well, it means I can only truly be exalted by God. And it means as I am pursuing exaltation, I'm becoming more and more like God, more and more like Jesus Christ. I am reflecting the glory of God in my pursuit of righteousness. And that is a good thing, right? It's the essence of why exaltation is a good thing to strive for. I'm basing my hope of being exalted on the reality that I'm reflecting the glory of the God who's bought me more and more in my life and in my conduct. I'm being exalted because I'm rightly reflecting his glory. Not only okay to hope for that kind of exaltation, it's an act of obedient faith, right? Now here's what this means. It means if I define exaltation as something less than that, I can pursue it on my own. In other words, if I define exaltation as something less than and pursuing the glory of God through him working in me, I, I can pursue that on my own. But all of those pursuits are not ultimately going to be fulfilling. So if I want to define exaltation in terms of a, a certain job level that I reach in the company, by promoting myself, I can do that, I can exalt myself in that way, but, but that's not true exaltation, that's not the true glory that God calls us to. If I want to define exaltation in terms of a, a certain number of followers on Instagram, I can do that by promoting myself. But but that's not God exalting me. And it's not going to be true exaltation. On that this American Life episode, as they were interviewing these girls, the, the host asked them, are, "Are you are you happy with this? Are you happy?" So well, not yet. We haven't reached where we want yet. But we're hoping as we get older in high school. Will reach that relevancy, will become relevant. They're not going to find the exaltation that they desire through self promotion, right? And parents, we're not going to find that exaltation through self promotion. Friends, we're not going to find that exaltation through self promotion. And we need to be very careful now that we define exaltation rightly for ourselves, for our friends, for our parents, for our family. Ultimately, it's going to end in lack of fulfillment. Only God can truly exalt. Here's a third truth that I think is helpful for us. Third truth is this. Uh, you cannot be exalted above Christ. Listen to what Paul writes next. It says, "He God exalted him, verse 9, and he bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What does it mean that he bestowed on him this name that is above every name? I think he's talking there about the that, that, that designation of Jesus as, as Lord. In fact, uh, keep your finger there in Philippians, and turn back to the book of Isaiah, if you can, if you have a Bible there. Isaiah 45. And let me read to you the passage that Paul is alluding to when he talks about every knee bowing and every tongue confessing. In that passage that he's quoting from Isaiah 45, God is saying some very important things about his own name and about his own deity and his own character. Isaiah 45:18, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it, he did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God, a Savior. There is none besides me. So he's very clearly declaring his deity. I'm, I'm God. There's no other God but me. I'm the God who, unlike your worthless idols, has the ability to know the end from the beginning. I declare it. It comes to be. I created the earth. I created it all had a purpose in it, very clear exaltation of God as God. And Paul is ascribing these words to God the Son. In other words, Jesus Christ is fully God as God the Father is fully God. And then he says this, verse 23 of Isaiah 45, Isaiah writes, God speaking through Isaiah, "...by myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me." every knee shall bow every tongue shall swear allegiance only in the lord it shall be said of me our righteousness and strength to him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him and so this this title that jesus receives the lord jesus is a title we see used to designate him throughout the new testament paul i'm sorry uh Luke, writing in Acts 19.5, says on hearing this, the gospel, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 21.13, Paul says to the leaders there, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul in Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Ephesians chapter 1, talking about the excellencies of God and why he should be blessed. And verse 20 says, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so what Paul is saying here in Philippians 2 is that Jesus has been given this name, this title, the Lord Jesus. He is fully God. He pursued humility, but now he has received exaltation And he has received exaltation for this reason, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. He says, first of all, every knee bow. First of all, every knee bow in heaven, all the spiritual realm. Revelations 5 describes this. It says, when the lamb had taken the scroll, that's Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, and this is what they say. This is the people in heaven saying this to Jesus. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then says John says, I looked And in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That's Jesus. You cannot be exalted above Jesus. He's given the name Lord so that every knee would bow in heaven. On earth, we see in, for example, in 2 Thessalonians, even those who experience the righteous judgment of God are going to be forced to confess that he's Lord. Those who are under the earth, the dead, will confess this. The fallen angels, the unredeemed dead will declare this. John in Revelation 20:12 would say, I saw. The dead, great and small, standing before the throne, all have to acknowledge his lordship. And how much better to do so now. How much better to recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ and as Paul says in Romans 10, confess that he is Lord now. Again, there's this tension in my mind. Okay, I'm, I'm called to pursue humility, and yet, I'm also called to want to be exalted. Now, how does that work? Well, I understand I pursue exaltation only by pursuing humility. I understand I can only truly be exalted by God. He's the one who wills within me to work, to pursue righteousness in which true exaltation is found. And then I also, I keep this in mind. Look, I cannot be exalted above Christ, which helps me understand the purpose of my exaltation. You see, brothers and sisters, so often, even though we would never say something so blasphemous as, Jesus Christ should worship me. We would never say something so blasphemous. We sometimes in our actions reveal that we believe that Jesus exists for us. Our prayers, our understanding of life, our understanding of what Jesus Christ should be doing in our life, our understanding of what our priorities should be in life, all reveal that we believe that Jesus Christ kind of exists for us. When I have the, the privilege of performing a wedding ceremony, I, I enjoy my time with the couple doing premarital counseling, and then there's the the night of the rehearsal, right? The, usually the night before the wedding, and one of the things I'll tell the bride before we go into the rehearsal, i say, "Rehearsal is that I will say, look, um, this is about doing the wedding the way that you've envisioned it. Our goal is to 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 make this your wedding tomorrow. So." I'm going to tell people what to do, but you tell me what you want me to tell people to do, right? How do you want people to come in? How loud do you want the music? Where do you want the flowers? You, you tell me all those things, and we're going to do this the way that you want it, right? Now imagine, this would never happen in real life, but imagine you had a bridesmaid who was confused about who the wedding was for. And at the rehearsal, this bridesmaid began saying what she, what she thought, you know, well, I think that we need to do the flowers this way. And the bridesmaid said, Well, I think that also the music needs to be this loud. And maybe a groomsman over here began saying, You know what I think? I think we should all come in at the exit. You know, and just people start giving their opinions, right? What, what would that reveal? Or they start talking about how, how nice their clothes need to be. I, you know, I think I need to be wearing this. What would it reveal? They, they don't understand why they're there. The bridesmaid is to look beautiful. But it's not so that everyone looks at the bridesmaid and says, wow, what a beautiful bridesmaid. The, the beauty of the bridesmaid is to point to the beauty of the bride. The attractiveness of the groomsman, the, you know, the tuxedo. That's not to point to him and say, everyone to leave, man, that groomsman was really rocking it at the wedding. No, it's, it's to point to the couple, especially the bride. As you and I think of our, our, about our own exaltation, our exaltation is a good thing because it makes Christ look more beautiful. And so my exaltation, the end and of of itself isn't me being exalted, but but Jesus Christ looking more and more lovely and beautiful. My exaltation is a good thing to desire because I want Jesus Christ to look good. And I understand that the means of exaltation is through humility. And as I'm exalted, no one is exalted above Christ. My purpose is not to assert my own will in my relationship with God, but to submit to the will of the Father as the Son did. It's impossible to be exalted above Christ. It's blasphemous to attempt it. Here's the fourth truth that I think is important for us to think about. You can only seek exaltation as a means to a further end. So let's look at 11 here again, Philippians 2. Maybe even, I'll go back to 10. So he's given this name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then how does he end it? To the glory of God the Father. That's the ultimate end. The glory of God. And God is our ultimate reward as well, right? Let me read to you from Psalm 16. And it's it's written by David, a Jew. Remember, the Jewish people had been promised by God land. They were to receive these inheritances, these, these portions. And it was a good thing to receive this land. But listen to how the psalmist describes this inheritance of land. He says. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. In other words, God, there, there's, there's nothing that I could have, there's nothing that I could possess that would be good if it was apart from you. You're all my good. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The Lord is my chosen portion. You're my inheritance. You're my reward, God, says the psalmist. Therefore, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Then 1611, a passage we, we love so well. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What does all this mean? It means that, as I said at the beginning, our problem is not that we desire exaltation. Our, our problem is that we define exaltation so cheaply that we're willing to say, okay, I want to be exalted, and so I'm going to promote myself and I'm going, to, I'm going to achieve that that job. I'm going to get that promotion. I'm going to achieve this this." financial security and I'm going to receive the praises of men for my, for my parenting abilities or for this, this hobby that I have. The problem is not the desire for exaltation. The problem is that we seek it in the wrong places because we define it so cheaply. And God comes to us here and he says, look, I'm it. I'm the ultimate end to which you can hope to, to attain. A relationship with me a loving relationship with me. It's not wrong to want success, but you must define it. Success begins and ends, God says, with me, relationship with me. My encouragement to you as we think about this passage and we think about exaltation is is to pursue exaltation, but to pursue the exaltation that surpasses all exaltations, the exaltation that's found through faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing that you and I have, have no ability on our own to obtain eternal life, to obtain a relationship with him, to uh, obtain a life of meaning, to say, you know what? I can't do that on my own. I need Jesus Christ. I need relationship with God, and I cannot do that through my own works. I must place my faith in Jesus Christ on the basis of his death on the cross, receive his righteousness through faith. As I do that, I understand, look, I need to pursue exaltation through emulating him through humility, I understand that there's, there, there's only one who can exalt me, that, that it's God, and that exaltation takes place as I pursue righteousness through faith in his Son, Jesus. Pursue the exaltation that surpasses all exaltations, the exaltation that's found in pursuing God. Let's pray. Father, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, asking for your great grace in our lives We thank you for how you've given us the ability to come into relationship with you, not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of faith in your Son, Jesus. And we pray that that faith would would compel us to pursue this this motivation you've given us to excel, to excel in that which is most important in our relationship with you. Cause us to flee sin, to pursue the reward of righteousness that will give you glory. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.